Welcome to Simpler Bible, a daily journey to biblical understanding. In episode 62 today, we're going to meet uh, Gibeon, this city, this, the Gibeonites, and the conquest of the rest of the land. Now, really quickly, we did skip over chapters 7 and 8. You'll remember yesterday we talked about how God had said, don't take anything that's devoted to destruction. In chapter 7 of Joshua, you meet this guy named Achan, who uh, the people are about to go to war against their second city, the city of Ai. I don't know how you pronounce it. It's literally the letters A and I. So I've always said AI, but uh, maybe it's I. Anyway, uh, they're about to go to war against AI and they lose their, their second battle. The Israelites are in their second battle and they lose. And Joshua gets down on his face and he goes, God, like, why is this happening? This is one of three places in the Bible where God's like, why are you praying to me? You know what happened. And he says, Joshua, get up. He goes, there's sin in the camp. He goes, somebody stole the devoted things. And the rest of chapter seven is about figuring out who stole the devoted things. And then uh, uh, Achan and his family are put to death for it because um, they dishonored God. They stole what they weren't supposed to take. And then uh, they're burned with fire and then a heap of rocks is piled up over them. And then chapter eight is the redo of that conquest of that city. And so those are the kind of the two things that happen there. And then they've they've destroyed some other kings and they've been kind of roaming through the cities and, and taking out these cities. So that's what we skipped in chapter seven and eight today. Let's look at chapter nine, verse one. As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the low land and all along the coast of the great sea towards Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, the Jebusites heard of this, they gathered together as one man to fight against Joshua and Israel. But, so th these seven nations are like, man, we got to fight against Israel. We got to stop them. But when the inhabitants of the Gibeonites heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they on their part acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions and took worn out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins worn out and torn and mended with worn out patched sandals on their feet and worn out clothes and all their provisions were dry and crumbly. And they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and they said to him to the men of Israel, we have come from a very far country. Now make a covenant with us. So here's their plan. I want you to catch this as genius. So... Uh, after they've seen Joshua or destroy Jericho and Ai, these other kings are like, oh man, let's get ready and let's go fight them. And so all these kings get together to go and fight them. And don't think really kings of nations. It's kings of people groups. It's kings of several cities. They weren't like huge nations. Was, usually they were over a few cities. And so the Gibeonites, they're like, oh, heck no, we're not going to fight. We've already seen what they did to Jericho and Ai. So they put on their oldest clothes that are all mended and worn and patched and their sandals that are falling apart and their old wineskins that are crumbly and dry and broken. Basically, they're going to everybody in their sandal, like, look, get all of your stuff out of your, out of your, at the bottom of your closet that you don't need anymore, your worst clothes, your worst sandals. If anybody has dry and moldy bit bread, please give that to us. And they get all these stuff and they travel. It's We're going to find out it's only a couple of days away. They're in the same land. They travel over to Gilgal and they're like, hey, we came from a very far away place. Now, remember, Rahab's already told us that the whole land knows that they're supposed to be destroyed. And the Gibeonites are like, nope, we don't want that. Hey, we came from a very far away place. Look at how old our clothes are and look at how worn out our shoes are and look at how old and moldy our bread is. We came from really far away. Make a covenant of peace with us. It's genius. It's cunning. But listen to what it says. Verse 7. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, perhaps you live among us, right? This is that this is the only smart thing they do in this chapter. Perhaps you live among us. 
<laughs> then how can we make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, we're your servants. And Joshua said to them, where are you? Where do you come from? They said, from a very distant country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord, your God. For we have heard a report of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who are beyond the Jordan to Sihon, the king of Heshbon and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, take provisions in your hand for the journey and go and meet them and say, we're your servants. Come and make a covenant with us. Now look, here is our bread. It was still warm when we took it from our houses as our food on the day we came out to you. But look, look how dry and crumbly it is. This is all a ploy. This is all a scam, right? These wineskins were new when we filled them and behold, now they have burst. And these garments and these sandals of ours are worn out from a very long journey that we took over the weekend. <laughs> it's just, it's crazy, right? Um, I mean, they're not very many miles away. How many miles are you going to walk in three days, right? Like they've, they've just come a couple of days away. So the men, so look, here's, here's what Joshua and his men do. Verse 14. So the men took some of their provisions, but did not ask counsel of the Lord. So the men took some of their provisions, but didn't. So they tested the wine. They tasted it. They ate the bread. They're like, yep, it's dry and moldy. Yep. The wine's pretty bad. Uh, and so Joshua made peace with them, made a covenant with them and let them live. And the leaders of the congregation made an oath to them. At the end of three days, after they had made the covenant with them, they heard that they were actually their neighbors and they lived among them. And the people of Israel set out and reached their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, uh, Sapphira, Beeroth, and Kiriath-Jerim. But the people of Israel did not attack them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. And all the congregation murmured against the leaders of Israel. But the leader said to the congregation, we have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we may not touch them. So God has told the Israelites to destroy everybody who lives in this promised land. And the Gibeonites, what do the other kings do? The other kings get their battlements ready. They're ready for war. The Gibeonites are like, hey, let's put on our oldest clothes, take our oldest and moldiest bread, and let's trick them and say we came from a faraway place, make a covenant with them, and maybe they'll be nice to us. Now, a couple of things. They do clearly make a covenant with the Gibeonites. This is not the last we'll see of the Gibeonites. In fact, one of the things that we see about the, the Gibeonites is that King Saul, who's the first king of the unified Israel, King Saul seeks to put the Gibeonites to death. He's, uh, and that's, that, we're talking like nearly 400 years later, 350 at least years later, when Saul becomes king, and he seeks to put the Gibeonites to death because they're the foreigners who live among him, and so he seeks to put them to death. And in the days of David, there's a famine in the land. David's the second king of unified Israel. And David comes to the Lord and he goes, God, why is this happening? Why is there a famine in the land? And he goes, because of what Saul did in wickedness to the Gibeonites. And so there's this whole story where David seeks to make that right to the descendants of the Gibeonites. And you'll see that in 2 Samuel 21. The other place that you'll see this is in 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles, that the city of Gibeon is a, a high place that people use as worship. And it's a place where they will authentically at times meet with the Lord, and then it later becomes a place that they'll use for, for idol worship. So Gibeon, uh, we'll see this city over and over in the text. So verse 20 says, this is what we'll do to the Gibeonites, to let them live, lest wrath be upon this, because we swore an oath to them and made a covenant with them. And the leader said, let them live. So they became cutters of wood and drawers of water for all the congregation, just as the leaders had said of them. Joshua summoned the Gibeonites and said to them, and I love this, this is, this is a dumb question, Joshua, but look what he says in verse 22. Why did you deceive us? Why did you say you're very far away from us when you dwell among us? What's the answer to that question? Because if we don't trick you, you're going to kill us. 
That's the, like Josh was like, I don't understand why you would do this. Why would you deceive us? Because if we don't, you kill us. That's the other option here. He goes, so of course we tricked you. I've always thought this was not Joshua's best moment. Like it just is kind of funny, you know? Anyway, maybe you don't find it funny. I find it hilarious that this is even a necessary question. So Joshua says, now therefore you are cursed and some of you will never be anything but servants and cutters of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God, which is beautiful because there isn't, I mean, the tent of meeting is like, that's what they're going to serve. They're going to end up serving the tent of meeting and cutting all the wood and doing all this. And they said to Joshua, because it was told your servants for a certainty that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you, we feared so greatly for our lives because of you and did this thing. So they knew, they knew what God had declared to Moses. They knew that just like Rahab knew that. And now behold, we're in your hand, whatever seems good and right in your sight, do to us. Uh, so do those things. So he did this to them and he delivered them out of the hand of the people of Israel. They did not kill them. But Joshua that day made them cutters of wood, drawers of water for all the congregation for the altar of the Lord to this place, uh, wherever his tent should be, wherever it should dwell. Now, verse 10 or chapter 10, as soon as Adonai Zedek. So Adonai is a name that, or something you probably recognize. It means Lord. And Zedek, we haven't really seen before because I skipped Genesis chapter 14 because we're going to come back to Genesis chapter 14 when we get into Hebrews. But Zedek means righteousness. So um, what we did, so what's interesting here is Adonai Zedek is the king of Jerusalem. All right, Adonai Zedek. So the Lord of righteousness is king of Jerusalem. Previously, there was a priest of God named Melchizedek. We saw him in Genesis 14. Again, I skipped that for now, but Melchizedek, Melech Zedek, means king of righteousness. And he was king of Salem, which became Jerusalem. And so this is the second king of Jerusalem we're encountering. And the first king was, uh, was the king of righteousness. And this is the Lord of righteousness. So as soon as Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had captured Ai and devoted it to destruction, doing to Ai and its kings as he had done to Jericho and its kings, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, he feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai and all of its men were warriors. Men of all of its men were warriors. So Adonai Zedek is like, man, they made peace with a big city with warriors. So. Adonai Zedek says, sends uh, messages to several kings, and he says, Come up to me and help me and let us strike Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with all the people of Israel. So what they're going to do is they're like, we can't take out the nation of Israel, right? It's a, it's a huge nation of people. What we can do is take out their allies, the Gibeonites, if we'll all muster together. So the five kings of the Amorites, this is verse 5, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, the king of Eglon, they gathered their forces and went up with all their armies and encamped against Gibeon to make war against it. Now, this would have been okay, like these people were supposed to be destroyed. This would have been okay, except for the, the Israelites have already made a covenant of peace with them. So verse 6 says, the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp in Gilgal saying, do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us for the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So here's what's kind of interesting. God has, has told Joshua to go into the land and destroy all these kings. And what ends up happening because of the covenant of Gibeon, God kind of uses that and he gathers all these kings that they're supposed to destroy, that Joshua's supposed to destroy to one place. And then God says, now we'll destroy all those kings. And so 
should not have made a covenant with Gibeon, but it works out because now you're not having to go to all these other cities to destroy all these kings. They've all been gathered together in one place and Joshua will destroy them. In verse 9, it says, Joshua marched all night long from Gilgal and came upon them suddenly and the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the ascent to Beth Horon and struck them as far as Azekah and Makeda and they fled before Israel while they were going down the ascent of Beth Horon and the Lord threw large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Azekah and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. So as they're fleeing and again Jericho walk around the city and yell right in this battle, it's like, chase the people away and I'll throw big rocks from heaven and we'll, we'll knock out the bad guys. We see that again in the seventh bowl of judgment in Revelation 16, 21, that God throws down hailstones on the people to kill him, those who have rebelled against him. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel, said in the sight of Israel, sun stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? So the book of the upright is what some of your translations will say. And so one of the things I want you to note is this is mentioned twice. The book of Joshua is mentioned twice in the scripture. It's mentioned here. It's mentioned in 2 Samuel 1, 18. I want to encourage you... Uh, not to probably spend any time on it. There is a book called the book of Jasher. You can go and find it. This book of Jasher would be something that Joshua is familiar with, would be something that David is familiar with 400 years later. This is an old, old book. The oldest manuscripts that we have of the book of Jasher are only like 700, 800 years old. It's relatively new. We don't have anything very old the earliest church fathers did not consider the book of Jasher a book to be considered. And, and so just be cautious. I wouldn't investigate it too much. But if you're wondering what is the book of Jasher and you have follow-up questions, let me know. So it goes on to say in verse 14, there's been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of man for the Lord fought for Israel. And Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. So the kings flee and Joshua strikes these kings, puts them to death, and that's kind of the end of that chapter. But chapter 14, I want you to see something really quickly here because we're, we're skipping forward. We, we've just skipped chapters 11 and 12 and 13 where the land is being conquered and the kings are being destroyed and the land is beginning to be divided. And so the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal. Caleb comes to him. And this is very key because it's going to give us our timeline again. And so chapter 14, verse 6, Caleb says to Joshua, You know that the Lord, what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to spy out Kadesh Barnea, to spy out the land. And I brought his word up against them as it was in my heart. So Caleb was 40 when he spied out the land. But we know that when they spied out the land, they'd already been out of Egypt for a year, which means Caleb was 39 when they left Egypt. Okay. And then he goes on to say this, verse 10. Now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he has said these 45 years since the time the Lord spoke this word to Moses. So since the time I spied out the land, it's been another 45 years. And he says this, um, he says, while Israel watched in the wilderness, now behold, I am this day 85. So he's 85 years old. So they spied out the land, right? They spied out the land. He came out of Egypt when he was 39. He spied out the land when he was 40. 39 years later, they come into the promised land. He's now 85, which means that they have been six years in the conquest of the promised land. That's how long the conquest of the promised land took. 
Uh, I don't have time to map it all out for you now. If you have follow-up questions, I'll put some of this in the blog as well for a little bit more details if you find this confusing. But, but six years is how long it took Joshua and the people to kind of conquest the promised land. And so what's going to happen for the rest of the book of Joshua, it's very tedious, is he's going to divide up the land. He's going to give Judah a portion that is almost equal to the rest of the tribes in total. Judah gets a massive portion. Um, the, there are refuge cities appointed on both sides of the river for the Levites. And then there are 48 cities given to the Levites out of all the other tribes of Israel. And it is a lot. There's just a lot. It's city after city, designation after designation, border after border. And I encourage you to read it. There's some interesting things in there, but I'm not going to spend three days reading name after name after name and giving you all the names of these cities. So the land is divided and Joshua is going to be coming to the end of his life. And we will get to the conclusion of Joshua tomorrow. If you want to read ahead, it'll be Joshua 22 through 24. How long did it take them to divide up the land? How long did it take them to, to conquest and to, to overthrow the people of the land? About six years. And so uh, thanks for watching today and we will see you tomorrow. Thank you so much for journeying with us today at Simpler Bible through another section of scripture where we come to know and understand God a little bit better. Look, if you're brand new to Simpler Bible, we have all sorts of resources available for you. Go to our website, simplerbible.com, and there you can find these videos, you can find our podcast, you can find links to our social media, and you can even find a blog post with additional scriptures if you want to go into a little bit more study than we had time to cover in this podcast and video today. We hope that this tool will be exactly that for you, a tool. Not something that replaces your daily walk with God, but something that enhances your daily walk with God and helps you to know and enjoy Him more. Thank you so much for being part of this, and we'll see you again tomorrow.